tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. Welcome to episode 15, Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. I think it's episode 15. Have we been numbering these things? Yes, we have. Okay, good. Well, then I guess you've got to rely on my horrible counting skill to determine whether or not that's the right episode number. But regardless of which episode numerically this is, this one is bound to be a fun one, as we're once again taking a look at a character that we covered in the first series of Tangent books, Leah Nelson, better known as the Lady of Light, The Flash. And as an added bonus in today's book, The Trials of the Flash, we also catch up on her secret six teammates, as well as her foes, Francis Powell, and her bumbling father, Terrence Kelly. Plus, we get some stellar art from one of my favorite artists, one Paul Pelletier. So this time out, we get all the cheesecake goodness of the first Flash comic, minus the Gary Frank creepy factor. Nice. And with me, as always, to take a look at these books is my co-host and good friend, Mr. Michael Bradley. How's it going, Michael? Really good. Hi, everybody. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this issue because, uh, you know, we were kind of okay with the first Flash run. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that kind of concerned me about it was just the Gary Frank art. And... Paul Pelletier taking the art over in this one has really changed it around for me. You've still got this sort of fun style that uh, Todd DeZalgo brings to the book, but the artwork doesn't have that you factor. I, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I prefer this version of The Flash rather than the previous one. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's not... It, it is still kind of a little cheesecakey here and there, but not... More of a fun cheesecakey, not the creepy cheesecake. Yes, I I think the the hyper realism that Gary Frank tried to pull off did make it feel a bit icky. With Pelletier's cheesecake, it's it's more cartoony and it feels more like I think the character is supposed to be portrayed as a sort of analog to uh, oh what's her name Alicia Silverstone from uh-huh. so. Yeah. And one thing too, I'm I'm glad we are getting to revisit this character because after reading this one and doing other issues in between looking back at my my comments on the first flash issue i think maybe i was a little harsh on that issue a little harsher than i should have been maybe about the the comedy and the slapstick but you know yeah 
the the comedy i think it was simply because that flash issue was coming pretty much directly right after you know the adam and the metal man issue which were very serious tonally deep stories and then we get this yeah it, it was kind of a drawing switch this one now that we we have a better grasp of the characters and know a bit more about where the characters are, come from, it's it's not as unnerving to see this sort of change in tone. Right. Plus, we also get uh, it's a sort of halfway Secret Six story as well. So I like that I like that fact as well. Mm-hmm. But be- before we uh, get into that, do we want to go ahead and read some email and stuff? Yes, we definitely need to do that. Okay. We're going to take a look at our first email here. This one is from Gene Hendricks. He hosts the Hammer Strikes podcast over at Two True Freaks, as well as the Quantum Cast and Anime Freaks. You can all check that out over at twotruefreaks.com. He writes in on the uh, subject of Wonder Woman, and he says, Sean and Michael, quick question. Was this supposed to be a comedy book? Um, do you think it was supposed to be a comedy book? I think it was Peter David being a smartass. Can I say that? No, I think that's I think that's an apt description. I think it was Peter David. I don't know if he really didn't care if he didn't put his full. I, I'm not saying that he didn't put his full effort into the book. I think he wrote an interesting story, but it was just him to use the euphemism. It was him taking the piss. Yes, it was him sort of openly mocking the storyline and just being kind of well mocking for for the lack of a better word so i I don't necessarily think it was supposed to be comedy it's sort of in lines of what we saw in the flash issues but it definitely wasn't definitely didn't hold the seriousness of the uh, rest of the books of the storyline he goes on to say this one was wow normally i like peter david as a writer but geez this was weird I don't think this one's going to be high on my priority list to track down. Thank you for taking one for the team on this issue. Well, you're, you're welcome, Gene. We're, we're glad that uh, we can read the book so you don't have to. You know, it's I, still better than Sea Devils. Yeah, yeah, I will have to agree. Uh, it, it, it was interesting and better than Sea Devils, yes. definitely. But the, the despite the lackluster nature of the issue it generated a lot of comments from people because we also got a website comment from dave mcelveny on the on the episode and he writes a good episode based on a very strange story i don't have anything to add to your commentary but i do want to comment on the birth of venus view of wanda first the famous painting is by bocellet botticelli second i thought of the same painting when i saw this but i interpreted it as kind of a callback to wonder woman princess diana in her origin of, a st- of being a statue made by Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons, which was brought to life by Aphrodite, the Greek version of Venus, and gifted with her many abilities by the gods of Olympus. Maybe I read too much into just that picture, but that's what I thought of. Uh, that that makes sense. Uh, you know, the uh, birthing of Wonder Woman in that uh, on that panel, that sort of splash panel where she came out, it does kind of recall. And that was the painting I was thinking of, The Birth of Venus by Botticelli. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, yeah, good points there. Definitely. Um, do you want me to take the next comment we've got here? Yeah, just go ahead and do that next one for Wonder Woman and then we'll Okay. Okay, well, this one comes in from Jadine and she says, Ah, Wonder Woman. 
the character that philosophized so much that she retconned herself out of existence in the Tangent universe when Tangent Superman's reign came along. Uh Uh-oh, spoilers. This despite visible images of her within the backup features in said comic and in other places like Ion. There you go. Comics. To be certain, or to be honest, I'm not sure if this would be the sea devils of the second wave. In my opinion, between this and Batman, I'd say that Batman was weaker than this. At least the concept behind this one seemed more appealing, even with its execution. This struck me as the quote-unquote deeper social gender aspect in the universe, something that mainstream comics don't touch upon within their universe, other than pre-52 Wonder Woman naturally. Or maybe that's just me. I'd love to see the role that religion played in Tangent, but oh well. Yeah, they never really got into religion. They got into the mysticism that we see in the Nightwing books, but they never specifically got into religion. I was thinking maybe the Batman books simply because it dealt with Arthurian legends and knights that religion probably could have been brought into that. But, you know, religion's a touchy subject that, you know, takes a good writer to deal with. Otherwise, it could be either heavy-handed or kind of controversial. So yeah. I don't know if they'd want to go with that. And, you know, Peter David did a lot with religion in Supergirl. So I'm not mm. sure. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Gene uh, keeps on saying, uh, at the same time, this is more of a hassle to read than Batman. So it's different strokes for different folks' title, methinks. Also, Dan Jurgens' interviews, please let that not be a dream. Please. For so long, I've wanted to know his own thoughts and creative process on the tangent line, just as I did for Ryan Hughes, which I still can't believe you managed to interview him. Seriously, you guys are my heroes for doing that. She gives us, uh, I guess, smiley face or whatever those are. It's uh, some emoticon. But, J.D., yes, uh, I think we are working out the possibility of talking with uh, Mr. Dan Jurgens uh, about the Tangent Universe. Uh, we've got inroads with other podcasters who've talked with him before. Who, and uh, you know, I think this would actually be something he might be really interested to talk about because mm-hmm. you know Dan Jurgens. Whenever he gets interviewed, it's always like, "Oh, what was it like killing a Superman off?" And I'm certain he's just sick to death of doing that. Um, when, whenever I've heard people talk about interviewing or talking to comics creators. They always seem to get more engaged when they talk about projects that specifically aren't at the top of everyone's list. Uh, you know, I'm certain Frank Miller is sick to death about talking about Daredevil or The Dark Knight Returns. And you know, I'm hoping that Dan Jurgens would be interested about talking about this, especially now that he might have a little bit of something to do with uh, the Tangent characters coming back with the Convergence storyline. Yep. We're, we're going to, you know... No promises, but we're going to try our best to get an interview with him. And mm-hmm. I, I, I also would like to talk to him about stuff. And oh yeah, well, that, hopefully not lapse into the Chris Farley fanboy. And he he's been. Uh, I know he's worked with uh, both Michael Bailey and Rob Rob Kelly and Shag, the irredeemable Shag. I almost said his last name. He doesn't like me to say that. But the irredeemable Shag over a fire and water. Uh, he, they've had interviews with Dan Jurgens before, so. I, I think he'd be amiable to uh, talk with us, and uh, hopefully he could give us some really keen insight on what was going on with this, and uh, you know what he had planned for this, and if he would ever want to come back to this. Because I, I've, like I like I've said before many times on the show, I think these characters are rife for uh, new stories to be told with them. Yeah, that 
there's just so much possibility and there's so much character that's been displayed in just you know one or two issues featuring each character that it, it's kind of amazing to me that they, they haven't been used more mm-hmm. uh, but J. Dean also sent uh, a website comment about episode uh, 11 which was the Superman issue with that comment she wrote I just want to say that while the original Superman story by Jerry Siegel and how it is entirely almost alike to the tangent Superman is old news to me, the tidbits about Harvey Kent and such were really eye-opening. They almost made me see this comic in a different way, and that's pretty cool. Of the second wave of tangent, I agree that this is definitely one of the strongest titles, if not the strongest. It's interesting how you theorize that this Superman story has ended, given tangent Superman's reign and how oddly well-evolved his story became during this comic. But my tiny rant about, I mean, uh, thoughts about it are for that future podcast series. I'm ecstatic you guys will be covering it. But it generally made sense to me and felt like another chapter in Harvey's life. But I can definitely see how this can be both an origin and an ended comic. Yeah, I, I agree. The The writing on the Superman story was a great single one-and-done that that pretty much encompassed or could have encompassed the entire story of this character. Yes. You didn't really need to see anything after this, but it would have been interesting to see where it would have gone. It it was it was perhaps one of the the best stories written for the series and it was well contained in its own title. So I I agree with Jadine about that. It was a good story that way. Well, it it, it it's open-ended. But yet there is a conclusion. So you know you can use your own imagination. To be, you know, did she take the pill? Was he actually just trying to solve a problem? Does he love her? Does he not? You know, or you can actually follow up on that and, and show it. So it works mm-hmm. both ways. Yeah, and that's that's a credit to to Miller as a writer that he was able to get that with the character to allow it to be either open ended or to be a finale for the story. Right. But everyone, we really appreciate you writing in. Please keep those uh, emails and uh, website comments coming. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you'd like to write us, what's the uh, email address again there? That's tangent at greatcrypton.com. Mm-hmm. And you can uh, also leave comments uh, on the postings over at the website, greatcrypton.com. So we'd love to hear from you guys. And if you uh, post something either on the site or send us an email, we will definitely read it on the next show. Definitely. We really like hearing from folks. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, with that done, do we want to go ahead and head into head into the uh, storyline? Certainly. This episode out, we are looking at Trials of the Flash number one, which has a cover date of September 1998 and was released July 29th, 1998, for a cover price of $1.95. The cover artist is Paul Pelletier and Andy Lanning, and credits for the interior story are Todd DeZago writer, Paul Pelletier penciler, Andy Lanning Inker, Joe Rosas Colorist, Heroic Age Separations, Comicraft Letters, Joe Illage Special Thanks, Eddie Braganza Editor, and Tangent Based on Concepts by Dan Jurgens. And the story is titled Making Light of the Situation. Bring it. Again, Nightwing Mort Terrence Kelly fails at, at another comedically bad attempt at capturing his daughter, Leah Nelson, a.k.a. The Flash. Tired of Kelly's bumbling, 
Nightwing directors Marcus Moore and Francis Powell dispatch agent Gunther Gans, a.k.a. Plastic Man, to apprehend the teenager made of light. What Moore and Powell are unaware of, however, is that Plastic Man and The Flash are actually friends and teammates as part of the Secret Six. The two heroes meet somewhat secretly at a diner named Starro's, but their meeting is interrupted by a volley of Firestorm Troopers, led by fellow teammate and Nightwing double agent Taylor Pike, a.k.a. The Spectre. Both heroes are easily apprehended by the Nightwing agents, and taken to Nightwing headquarters, where they're placed in cells that not only neutralize their respective powers, but act as instruments of torture. Unfortunately for Nightwing, especially Pal and the Firestorm Troopers guarding them, the heroes had secretly switched places, using Flash's solid light holograms and Plastic Man's shape-shifting abilities. And they're able to escape their bonds with a little help from the Spectre, who had actually been working with them all along. The three heroes, along with other members of the Secret Six, had designed the plan to infiltrate Nightwing headquarters in order to procure the comatose human body of Plastic Man, in order for him to be free of Nightwing's control. After finding Gans's body, they are met with another group of Firestorm Troopers, this time led by Pal himself, who orders them to fire on the heroes with laser guns. As you can imagine, this doesn't go too well when one of their targets is the Flash, who can literally manipulate light. And Pal and the Firestorm Troopers soon find themselves captive in a cage made of their own laser blasts. Suddenly, Plastic Man's body dissipates as Gans' real body wakes up. Pal pulls a gun and attempts to shoot Gans, but Gans is able to focus his energy, reforming Plastic Man and blocking the shot. Angered at yet another attempt on her friend's life, Leah generates a huge flash of light, blinding Pal and allowing the heroes to escape. Later, the Secret Six regroup at their satellite headquarters for a little end-of-issue exposition. With that out of the way, Leah leaves, saying she has to go to work. And in Hollywood, we learn that Leah's work is masquerading as one of her bumbling father's henchmen as he makes yet another failed attempt to capture her. I really, you know, as much as we weren't really down on the original Flash issue, we were just kind of shocked at how much of a change it was from the original or from the first two stories. Mm-hmm. Now that we know what the character of the Flash is like, I really enjoyed this comic. Yeah, it was really fun. And I thought it was an improvement over the first issue because while it had its moments of farce, that wasn't the focus of the issue like last time. They, they kept it light and fun without turning it into slapstick yeah in fact the you know the only two moments in the farce are these little vignettes at the beginning and end which really don't play into the story all that much i think in the first book because the uh 
<clears throat> the idea of her father, Terrence Powell, trying to capture her being the primary storyline did make it kind of feel kind of goofy. This feels more like a a flash sec a flash and secret six story rather than just kind of a goofy one off comedy. Yeah, I mean I liked that this could just as well have been called Secret Six number two. Since mm-hmm. it dealt as much with those characters as the Flash herself. I, I like seeing these characters interact and I'm glad that we've gotten to see more about them as a team and that they're not only working together but but using their um, double agent backstories to, to their advantage rather than letting that be a drag on the characters. Mm-hmm. And there there are some interesting switches that you know there's uh, like the double dealings of them and yes having them as uh, sort of you know uh, double agents in this secret organization and working against the organization from within is really great. Um, personally, I want to say the one thing that makes this book superlative for me is Paul Pelletier's art. Mm-hmm. I have loved Pelletier since his early days. You know, the first time I encountered him was again in Green Lantern, and I thought his artwork was spectacular. It's very clean. It's very, it's sort of comedic. It's though the women have a lot of cheesecake, but it's not that kind of creepy cheesecake, like I said, that we got with Gary Frank. Right. Uh, Leah looks very attractive. But she doesn't give you that that feels like I shouldn't be looking at this. It's it's just there there's there's a distinct difference between the styles of the two uh, artists, and I think Pelletier does a great job with all the characters in this book, making them look dynamic and making them look attractive and making them look you know even somewhat you know sexy at times, mm-hmm. without crossing that line into you know creepiness. Yeah, we keep coming back to that word. His art, it's its kind of got the realistic feel like a Dan Jurgens or Mike McCone, but it's also more stylized and it's very fluid and just a little bit cartoony that it really works for this character. Oh, definitely. And, and while I wouldn't say the two artists' styles look alike, it's not a huge jump from Gary Frank that if you read the two Flash issues back-to-back, you're going to feel disoriented. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's toned down. I think Frank tries for specific realism, tries to make it look specifically real. And because of that, it feels sometimes I guess you could, you know, it's, uh, you could say it, it, it falls into the uncanny valley. When you try and make something look too real, it fails on doing that because you know that you're looking in a comic. Right. So I think that's where Gary Frank has a problem with the art. So I, I love the art in this. I love the story. I, I love the characters. This was just a really fun book to read. Yes. So let's go ahead and take a break. Yep. And then we'll come back for the page by page. Okay. It started as an idea. A flicker. Now with a simple voice email to the Superman and the Bronze Age podcast, that flicker has become a flame. Now, Russell, you're ready to start a podcast. Yep, you're ready to go. Yes, start it, and then and then we can email you. Whoa! And Russell has been, you know, the most consistent emailer. I think it's time that he does start a show. DC Comics presents. You know, after Dave's done, and I mean, you're not covering every issue, so he could do all of them. I would highly recommend that, actually. That would be awesome. 
So there you go, Russell. Go for it. I can't wait to hear his reaction to this. this <laughs> well, boys, here's your response. The DC Comics Presents show, hosted by me, Russell Bragg. On each episode, I will cover one issue of DC Comics Presents in publishing order until I reach the end of the series. I will also be covering all four annuals. Plus, I will be doing a character spotlight on each of Superman's guest stars, and we'll be going to the spinner rack to see what other comic books were available. Join me each episode of the DC Comics Presents show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's DCCPSHOW. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Okay, and we're back. So, do you want to go ahead and start off with the cover of this one? Yes. All right. It's it's not a bad rendering of the character, though I do wish they would have avoided the brokeback pose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's still it's bright and fun and and fits the character. Yeah, they're in the uh, back matter of the story. They've got a few different uh, versions of the cover. Uh, if you want to check that out, I think the A version. I would have gone with that one. I think that looks good. I don't think I even read the back matter for this issue. Shame on you yeah. for being a bad host. Well, no, check out because they've got three different versions of uh, what they were going for their with the cover, and I think the A version is probably one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It's a very it, it it's very evocative of a James Bond type feel. It's you know her with her right arm behind her head and she's shooting out rays of light with a hand. It's it's much less a ridiculous broke back pose, which I agree. Pelletier does the broke back pose where it looks not as unnatural as some, but still it's just a goofy pose that I don't think should be it's overused in comics. I think the A version of it probably would have worked better for the uh, cover, but that's just me. The placement of the logo helps because it covers certain yeah. areas that yeah. Yeah, the and again, you know, we've got to give uh, credit to Ryan Hughes for designing a really cool logo. The Flash logo yeah. is one of the neat ones, especially the sort of rocket ship uh ideal of the A. It gives a very futuristic design and also harkens back to the idea that the Flash was born in space and is a child of the space program. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I'm pulling up the last Flash issue right now. I wanted to compare the logos to see what was changed. No, I meant to do that. Okay, yeah. The only thing that changed was um, on the original, there was a beam of light coming out to the left there. Oh, where the where the letters, the trials of the yeah. were? Yeah. Okay. It was, it was longer like on the right. Okay. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very, it's a really strong logo. 
Mm-hmm. So. Going into the book, uh, pages two through four. This it's just the it's just this little silly, somewhat forgettable vignette about you know Leah's father coming in to try and capture her again, mm-hmm. and it does nothing to hinder the book. Uh, it's just a sort of callback to what was happening in the first book. It's done in a fun style. Powell as a character is nothing more than a sort of Dr. Smith kind of <laughs> snarling, you know, mustache twirling bad guy. And he, the fact that he's so incompetent and ineffectual is, is just amusing. And that it for me adds to the book. Yeah. The one thing that struck me when I was reading the opening scene is that he is going to all of these hilariously outlandish schemes to capture the Flash when we saw last issue that she cares for him and was excited to see him. So it would be much easier to to capture her if he would just, you know, use his family ties and not rendering the services of Acme Death Traps Incorporated. But <laughs> that's that's a that's a perfect explanation of what he's doing. This is all very you know, coyote and roadrunner uh-huh. type type things. You know, if if the actual if the actual crate that he was taking this stuff out of said Acme on the side, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, page five, it was good to see more in Powell again. It, it, it's been a while because it feels like while the Nightwing group is still very much a presence in the second wave, it feels like we've had less of this personal side of them because we haven't seen as much of the the figureheads from the com- or the the company, the uh, the organization. Yeah, the the Nightwing group, at least the organization or the heads behind it, have been kind of haven't really been played up. We've seen more of specific hero characters, and I think that. I think that initially probably they had more of a through line of the story arc within the first book, having Nightwing sort of as the faceless organization manipulating things behind the scene. And here they don't really specifically have that. At least I haven't really caught anything. Uh, you know, n- n- la- I guess the, in the first run, Nightwing was the thing that was sh- moving and shaking things. And in this run, it's the... Uh, the addition of the ultra humanite and the uh, right. the uh, whole um, you know EMP wave that's blacked out uh, satellite and electronics uh, across the earth that they're having to deal with. Yeah, they do feel a lot less unified as a whole, even though the first wave wasn't really unified in, in as much as you would have to read all of them to understand any of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, page six, this was just a, a fun kind of splash page of her zipping through the sky and transforming into different uh, holograms. I don't know if a bomb is the wisest choice, but the monkey and the elephant are kind of fun. Oh, yeah. And, and again, this is where Pelletier's art really shines. It's it's cartoony. It's fun. I like I, you know, I like the monkey because that's a nice callback to, to Beppo, the, uh, <laughs> the super monkey, which is always fun. But I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to if you didn't. So, <laughs> But, you know, here we've got We've got a girl in a skin-tight, essentially one-piece bikini with a big cutout in her middle. Mm -hmm. And this could be incredibly inappropriate if drawn in the wrong way. Yes. But the way Pelletier draws it, it it looks nothing aside from fun and light and lighthearted. 
there's nothing there's nothing on this panel that makes me go I shouldn't be looking at this right uh, so I and, and moving on to the next page where she transforms into her regular everyday clothes even that doesn't look even even though her clothes are somewhat well they're somewhat of the era that's young teen and a mini skirt and a, a half shirt even that doesn't look uncomfortable so uh, pelletier is just able to pull off this cute art without making it feel uncomfortable definitely on page seven i got distracted a minute go ahead no problem. On page seven, I like the uh, sort of Ben Grimm homage here with Plastic Man wearing the, uh, you know, coming into the diner with the hat and the trench coat. Yeah. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, Plastic Man does sort of have a, a slight Ben Grimm kind of vibe to his character, too, which I kind of enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing I noticed on page eight, this is a kind of tell that uh, – if you didn't see if you go back and read the book after you know what's going on you'll be able to figure it out on the bottom panel of the page if you look the uh women's restroom which Leah goes into is on the left-hand side of the page and the men's restroom is on the right-hand mm-hmm. side but if you look on the next page Gans is coming out of the women's restroom on the left-hand side while Leah is coming out of the men's restroom on the right-hand side. So this is something that just, you know, looking over this page, you could have easily forgotten. But, you know, once you know what's going on in the rest of the book, that's a very clever, it's a very clever twist that they put in here. I had the exact same note. I didn't catch it in my read-through, but when I was going back doing my notes after I knew the reveal at the end or later on, I was like, oh, that's pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was, I thought was great, and it's one of those things that they could easily do in say if they did an animated version of this or a movie. It's one of those little things that you just you know after you've watched the movie and seen the or watched the movie or read the book and know the ending, you can go back and watch it again and go, oh, I see what they did there, and it's it's very clever. Right. Um, I don't have anything till twelve. Let's see. Uh, yeah, just a big fight scene, basically here. That yeah, same here. I don't have anything till fourteen. So, what do you have on twelve? Um, have we seen these blonde twins before? No, I don't think we have. I, you know, I know we've had um, what in the last Secret Six book we had the two girls, the uh, Eclipso twins, but I don't think these are they. So because yeah, uh, those were different. Yeah, they were they were sort of you know these are just I think this is just more sort of you know generic uh, Nightwing you know Nightwing agents who are supposed to help out Powell. It, you know it, it's also probably just an opportunity for Pelletier to draw a couple more uh, interesting female characters. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, they, which again I'm not upset with. No, not at all. My next note is on page fourteen. Okay. Uh, the uh, the four panel progression there, where we see Leah screaming, and then suddenly she gets a beeping on her phone. She goes instantaneously from this look of agony to, oh, oh, okay, it's it's time for me to change, and she changes from Leah to Plastic Man. I thought that was some really clever art, especially the the facial expressions of her, you know, just writhing in agony to then suddenly going, oh, this wasn't hurting me at all. I, I it, it's very clever. Again, I I can't say enough about how much I enjoy Pelletier's art in this. Yeah. One 
teensy minor nitpick. I don't know that I, I don't get how Plastic Man was able to shapeshift into uh, Leah's form because I, with the change in colors and, and textures, because I didn't think that was part of his abilities. But uh, um, comics, comics, yeah, oh, that works. Comics. Okay, <laughs> yeah, just you know, just go with it. It works for this comic, yeah. and regardless, you know, it's it's a fun way that they're able to infiltrate the, uh, you know, infiltrate Nightwing without, you know, it's a, it's an interesting way for them to infiltrate Nightwing. Yeah. Um, my next note's not till over to seventeen. Okay. Which is just to say, you know. I can imagine these fire stormtroopers barging into the situation, seeing the Flash, stopping, looking down at their guns, looking back up at the Flash, back down to their guns, and being like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Pal yells at them, sort of like, well, all right. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't, you don't bring a laser gun to a uh, Flash fight, right. basically. It's going gonna, it's gonna to end badly for these, night, for these fire stormtroopers. But uh, on, on a more serious note, on the next page, you know, her, her, her valley girl talk and her cutesy girl appearance really belies just how powerful Leah is. I mean, if she can manipulate light like this, basically bending it to her will, there's a lot of applications of that. And then you add on this ability to create these solid light holograms and generate these huge, uh, the bright bursts of light like she does in a few pages and... and, and and the fact that she's as literally as fast as light, and she's yeah, it, just very powerful. It, it gives her it gives her essentially the abilities of the Flash of the D, the regular DC universe as well as Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting combination of uh, power set that she has, and uh, you know the fact that it's in it's this power set is in the form of a you know teenage Valley Girl who makes who it people will underestimate. Yes, exactly. That 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 could be easily underestimated. Makes it all the more impressive. It makes her all the more impressive of character. Um, I don't have any notes until page twenty-one. Do you have any until that? Nope. My note for twenty-one was more of a question for you. Okay. And that was, what did you think of the revelation of Leah being in disguise as one of her father's henchmen? Um, which I guess technically is page twenty-two. Yeah. Well, on page uh, on page twenty, y'all say. I didn't mind that. I thought, hmm, because this is the same character who was with, you know, with her father during the first issue. So was she infiltrating her father during the first issue? Did she know all about, you know, him trying to capture her during the first Flash story? Um, I guess so. I, I think it. I think it basically tells that. She realizes her father is trying to capture her, and she's just having fun with it because she knows that essentially he is kind of a mort, and he's mm-hmm. not really going to be able to accomplish this. And maybe in some way she's kind of working to make sure that he fails. Could be. Mm-hmm. My comment on uh, page 21 was the fact that I enjoyed that the uh, Secret Six have their own satellite, and I was, yeah. I was, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that it orbits the Earth at a distance of 22,300 miles above Earth. Nice. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's where it is because if it's not, that that'll disappoint me. 
but yeah um i don't really have anything else to say about the book i i really really enjoyed this yeah it was really fun i enjoyed seeing the secret six even though they didn't have a lot to do together here at the very end i, I enjoyed seeing the six of them together mm-hmm. five it's, i guess because no he's there okay yeah. now the adam's there yeah as well everyone's there it's just the adam really doesn't have anything to say except you know he he basically says what's going on with the doom patrol yes because we have to reference nightwing night force so. mm-hmm. because because that's an important one <laughs> that's where the ultra humanite comes yep. in and We'll be finding more about that. But yeah, this was a great issue. As as much as we were kind of meh with the original Flash issue, I think this one, you know, built upon it and surpassed it. Built and, upon it in very strong ways and very good ways, as well as building upon the Secret Six issue, which mm-hmm. was a bonus. And, and and yeah, it's if they couldn't have done a Secret Six issue, it's nice that they had a sort of stealth way to bring them in. So I'm glad that they were able to do that because you know, the, obviously they did the Joker, and they were able to bring that character in. They didn't specifically have an Adam issue, but they were able to bring the Adam in in some other things. And plus, you know, they're tying in these characters or from uh, these different stories into different ones, like in the Nightwing Night Force, bringing in the Doom Patrol. So it's feeling like a more cohesive universe in the yes. uh, second line of Tangent books. And I think specifically because these books are having lesser page counts they're having to draw in these other characters in there to kind of make sure that you remember who these teams and characters are. Mm-hmm. So, You know, you bring up the page count, I will say that. This one felt perfect for this page count. It didn't feel padded, and it didn't feel like they had squished it down into the 22 pages. No, exactly. It it, it moved along at a quick pace. You never felt like they were trying to... Uh, draw out the fight sequences there was uh enough character development there was a the the hum- and the humor bits didn't overpower the book there weren't so many humor bits that you felt that it was uh trying to turn the story in a weird way it was just it was a, an exceptional book yep <laughs> <laughs> there That's, we go yeah. i don't think we can say any more this is this is uh it may not be one of my favorites. It's it was definitely one of the more fun ones that I've read this time out. Yeah, it was just a fun, enjoyable read, and sometimes that's all you need from a comic book. Exactly, and you know, a lot of times we don't get that kind of stuff. And I, I think having the Flash book being the fun, light, enjoyable uh, book in the uh, Tangent Universe is is akin to how it should be in the regular DC Universe. The Flash the Flash book should be the book that's fun and light and enjoyable to read. So yep. we've got it in both cases here. But speaking of enjoyable, next episode we're going to be revisiting a concept that both Sean and I found enjoyable the first time around, and, and that is Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. This time, it's a, a again, it's a uh, different tale of Green Lantern. Uh, Green Lantern really doesn't have much to do in it, but there are some interesting origin stories for the Green Lantern. Cool. And I'm looking forward to covering that. But we'll be doing that here in a couple of weeks. We hope everyone uh, returns to listen to us talk about it. But until next time, uh, we're signing off. Thank you for downloading the latest episode of of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. We'll catch you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody.
You've just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Hosted by me, Michael Bradley. And me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places. Most notably, Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review. Maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of two true freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names.